This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Good morning, everybody. Please turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy 4. If you're here this morning, you don't have a copy of the Scriptures. If you'll raise your hand, our ushers will give you a free copy. We're going to be looking at a lot of verses. So we'd like you to have a copy of the Scriptures so you can follow along and you can uh, take that home with you afterwards or leave it on your seat. But if you just raise your hand, they'll give you one. And we're going to begin in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I would like to alert the security team to keep an eye on the books on the table. I saw that gleam in my wife's eye when they mentioned the Spurgeon book. She's been known to shoplift Spurgeon books. <laughs> I'm kidding. But she loves Spurgeon, and she, she heard that Spurgeon on the promises of God, and I just want to protect the books for the graduates. 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to read verses 6 through 11. This is God's Word. It's a gift to us, it's inspired, has authority in our lives. We want to receive it, we want to hear it this morning. We need God's gift of illumination. Have mercy on us, Lord. Verse 6, 2 Timothy 4. Paul in prison, awaiting execution. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Verse 9, do your best, Timothy, to come to me soon for Demas. In love with this present world has deserted me. Gone to Thessalonica. Gresham's has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. There's a warning here for us, isn't there? A friend of mine's wife got a speeding ticket recently. I'd love to mention their names, but I won't. My friend told me about a video that she had to watch as part of her ticket, her punishment for speeding. She had to watch this video. It was a warning about distracted driving, looking at a smartphone when you're driving or something like that. And my, my friend's wife told him about the, the video was so effective, it affected him. 
When he told me, it affected me. The video had five or six stories about people who were killed because a driver looked at their phone. There was a mom who lost a child, a teenage girl who lost a friend when she looked at her phone and wrecked. It's, it's easy to do, isn't it? This video is a warning. How easy it is and how devastating the effects. Even for a few brief seconds, just allowing our eyes to glance away from the road can, can have a devastating consequence on your life and others. And I am the chief of sinners. I've had enough close calls that I, I didn't need much convincing that my habit of not resisting this temptation to look at my phone is foolish. But I, I confess that when they passed the law in Tennessee, hands-free driving in 2019, I had the same kind of motivation. That's a good law. going to obey that law. And I've broken that law. Romans 7 comes to mind. I do not do the good I want. The evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Don't look at me like that, you Pharisee. There's many of you in here that are, that are guilty too. I see people on their phones. It's amazing how that reveals your self-righteousness. Here I am, the chief of sinners. I'm like, get off your phone. Or they're, they're in the line in front of you at the green light that goes green. And they're looking at their phone and they don't go. And you just think, sinner! And, and you just did it, like at the last light. But I, I do have a fresh desire to obey. It's a good law. It is a dangerous temptation. 2 Timothy 4 is a warning video. Maybe more important. I would say more important. Because it's about the devastating effects to our soul from worldliness. We think of a Christian persevering through difficulty. It's hard to think of someone that's a better example in Scripture or otherwise than the Apostle Paul. He wrote these words to Timothy as he sat chained in a prison. It's, it's a picture of perseverance. He's anticipating execution. He's being faithful. And so when he's confident here in verses 6 through 8, that he's endured, he's going to get this crown of righteousness. Who can disagree? He should be confident. He has finished well. Sadly, though, a few verses later, verse 10, he tells his readers about Demas. For Demas, verse 10, in love with this present world has deserted me. He's gone to Thessalonica. So here... In Paul's final letter, in a few verses, we have two men who serve the Lord together. Paul, the mentor, and Demas, the mentoree, one endured and finished the race. He could look forward to the crown of righteousness. The other man fell away. 
deserted his beloved mentor and was never heard from again as far as we know in Scripture. We don't know if he ever repented. But he deserted Paul. He's probably not a guy that you would have thought of as worldly. He, he was a close friend of Paul's. He was a traveling companion. He, he, he helped spread the gospel. He helped strengthen the early church throughout the Roman Empire. He left his home, his family. He traveled with Paul on a long, hard journey. He stood by Paul when, when he was first arrested and put in prison. He put himself at risk repeatedly for the sake of the gospel. He sent greetings in Philemon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, Paul says in Christ, sends greetings to you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. He's listed with some of Paul's most respected and trusted fellow workers in 2 Timothy and in Philemon. Mark and Luke wrote Gospels. He, he seems to have been a model believer. I think we would have admired him. I think we would have respected him. Probably wanted to imitate him. He was no doubt a young man that Paul thought had a future with him. Thought he would serve the churches for many years. But as far as we know, he didn't. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. We can feel the sadness when he writes it. The end of his life. All his faithfulness. All the time. That he had spent with this young man. How did he go from a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. A close companion of the Apostle Paul. Someone willing to make all these sacrifices to a deserter. We don't have to guess. He fell in love with the world. Didn't happen in a day. It was gradual. He weakened. He was polluted. He conformed. Most of us know someone like this. Someone we had great fellowship with. Someone who seemed to have just a passion for Christ, a love for Christ, a joy in Christ, but today they're gone. Maybe, maybe we were missing the signs of worldliness. Maybe there were questions we had that we never asked. But one thing is certain, they drifted in their heart like Demas. And that's where a love for the world begins. In their soul, slowly this person began to succumb to the lies. And in the end, most importantly, they deserted Christ. Though... Though many seem to be most concerned about persecution, the greatest challenge for us today from the world is seduction. We need to remember there was a time when Demas thought this way. When he thought that he needed to be careful. He was warned. If we want to finish the race, we, we, 
We need to understand he thought he would persevere. We need to heed this warning and conquer worldliness in the power of the Spirit. That's our main point today. We're going to look at a few different texts in the New Testament. Three points we're going to make. Worldliness exists in our hearts. God's creation is good. Jesus is better. Number one, worldliness exists in our hearts. Please turn to 1 John. It's a few books to the right. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Worldliness exists in our hearts. The Apostle John writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do not love the world or the things in the world. The purpose of this series is to heed this warning. Don't love the world. Don't love the things in the world. These 11 words from the Apostle John point us to the path of life in Christ. Living a life worthy of the gospel. They help us see, like we heard that prophetic word, the word of God shines a light on our path and they help us see this path to what John Newton called solid joys and lasting treasures. These warnings in Scripture are not meant to be legalistic restrictions. Whenever you start talking about worldliness, you you get this feeling of legalism, this concern about legalism. But these warnings are really expressions of God's mercy. This morning, we're experiencing God's mercy. He's giving us His Word. He's warning us so we won't desert Him. This is wisdom. It's like the the warning video about hands-free driving. It's for our good. It's to protect us. Now, notice that the world we are not to love is the culture around us that is actively hostile to God, that is alienated from God. We are forbidden, we are warned not to love that world, that fallen world, man opposed to God. This is what James is talking about in chapter 4 of his letter. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity? It's opposition, it's hostile opposition, enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is the world that is passing away. This is 
the world that is arrogant. It's self-sufficient people seeking to exist without God, apart from their Creator. It's the fallen world. It's the people who suppress the truth about God. Worldliness is love for this fallen world, these enemies of God, these values, these pursuits of the world that are opposed to God. This is the world that rejects God's rule in their lives. Do not love the world. Don't love the things in the world. That's a warning. Here's what Ian Murray, he's the co-founder of the Banner of Truth Trust, which publishes a lot of Puritan books, including John Flavel. Ian Murray, he says this, worldliness is departing from God. It's it's a man-centered way of thinking. It proposes objectives which demand no radical breach with man's fallen nature. It judges the importance of things by the present and material results. It weighs success by numbers. It covets human esteem and wants no unpopularity. It knows no truth for which it is worth suffering. It it declines to be a fool for Christ's sake. Worldliness is the mindset of the unregenerate. It adopts idols and is at war with God. Worldliness exists in our hearts. That's what the Bible's talking about when it talks about worldliness. It, it's in our hearts. Verse 16 1 John 2, for all that is in the world, listen, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. John doesn't say anything about the way we dress. He doesn't say anything about the music we listen to. He doesn't talk about our possessions. That's because the essence of worldliness is in the cravings, the desires of sinful man, the lusts of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and what he does. As believers, we know we have a new heart. We have a new nature. We are born again. We are united with Christ, buried with him in baptism, but raised with him to new life. We also know we're not completely free from sin. Remaining sin in our lives is at war with our soul. And it produces these cravings that compete for God's rule. That's the age we live in. That's where we are now as believers. And so we are warned because God loves us. Because of his mercy, he gives us these warnings The desires of the flesh are something we need to be warned about. That's the root issue with worldliness. When our desires become demands, they can even be desires for good things, but when they 
become demands. Pre, we're preoccupied with them. We're obsessed. We got to have them or else that they become sinful. They rule us. They become idols. They're from the world. This is why Demas deserted Paul and Christ. Sinful desires. Then John says, the desires of the eyes, our, our hearts, our souls, can be stirred by what we see, can't they? So it's not just that we, we see things that are physical, but they're, they're like opportunities. These things that we see are like opportunities for us to covet, for us to sinfully desire something, to crave something. It isn't just sexual sin. We can, we can lust after many worldly things, can't we? Think about it. Let's ask these questions. Are you more, more excited? You feel more emotional attachment about a movie or a game, maybe Tennessee baseball, hardest ticket in town? Just revealed my temptations. A TV show, maybe you're more excited about that than, than serving others for the glory of God. Wow, that's a hard question. Are you more drawn to people because of what they look like rather than their character? You know, are you excited about celebrities regardless of their character, their integrity, their morality? More excited about them than maybe the children's ministry workers this morning who from a biblical perspective are the great ones. These, these questions can reveal the desires of the eyes that John's talking about. Finally, the pride of life. We're, we're easily tempted to be proud about the things we do and the things we have. Our work, our talents, our abilities, our possessions, our accomplishments. We may not say it out loud, but in our hearts, we can be proud. We can boast about these things. We want people to know about our greatness. You've heard every, you know, people talk about virtue signaling. It comes from the pride of life if it happens. We're, we're boasting in what we do. I noticed, you know, like I walk my dog in my neighborhood and sometimes he, well, goes to the bathroom in other people's yards. I have a big dog, so it's a big deal. <laughs> and I take bags with me to clean up other people's yards. And then I'm walking him home and I've got my bag. And there's a little temptation in my heart to go, yeah, all you people that don't clean up after your dog, see my bag. See my bag? I clean up after my dog. Virtue signaling. It's a good thing to clean up after your dog. More importantly, what's, what's in your profile on Facebook? 
Mine is perfectly innocent. <laughs> Never been on Facebook in my entire life. But I am on Venmo. And for some reason, they want a profile on Venmo. I'm like, Mr. Venmo, just send the money, okay? LinkedIn. What's on your, what's on your profile? Doesn't mean we shouldn't market our skills. But worldliness exists in our hearts. And we, we have a sinful tendency to think we're significant because of our achievements. Our virtues. We want human esteem. Mr. Murray's right. And we don't want any unpopularity when we're worldly. We want other people to notice us. John gives this, this helpful, helpful final phrase in verse 17. The world is passing away. It's very important to get that. The world is passing away. That's the truth. All its desires are passing away. But whoever does the will of God. Remember last week we talked about understanding the will of the Lord. Discerning what pleases God. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. It's eternal. John exposes the futility of all these worldly things. Worldliness is about this present world. Demas loved this present world. So he deserted Christ because he didn't want to live for eternity. He wanted this present world. And John is showing us why it's so foolish to live like that for this present world. If you're into cryptocurrency, you've had a bad six months. They lost a trillion dollars in value. I don't even know what cryptocurrency is, but I don't think it's good. A trillion dollars in value. Randy Alcorn in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, said if the rug is pulled out from underneath you when the stock market fluctuates, you're standing on the wrong rug. Frank Sinatra, I... Been thinking about singing little Frank for you this morning, but cold feet. It's my vacation song. Fly me to the moon. Oh, I can do it. Trust me, I can do it. But it's just, I don't know, publicly I may freeze. But one, one verse says, fill my heart with song and let me sing forevermore. That's a desire. Let me sing. Fill my heart. Of course, it's a song. I understand that. Fill my heart with song. And let me sing forevermore. No. You did it your way. Now, maybe Frank came to Christ. I don't know. I'm not his judge. But if you did it your way, you will not sing forevermore. I'm not judging Frank Sinatra. I love Frank, man. I can sing Frank. But I am saying to us, if you do it your way, it doesn't lead to singing forevermore. We want to live for eternity. 
The world and its desires, that's the point, pass away. They pass away. Worldly things don't last. Second point, God's creation is good. Don't love the world or the things in the world. In these 11 words, John is, is not calling us to get off the grid. We talked about that last week. He's not sending us to a monastery. It's not referring to the natural world. It's not referring to the blessings that come from living in a modern society like microwave ovens or medical science or smartphone technology. Just don't drive while you're using it, but it's a blessing. God created, in, in Genesis 1 we learn God created the world and God saw everything he made and behold it was very good. He made creation. But Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. We, we, we can enjoy this world. We should enjoy this world. Our families, our friends, our, our community, our careers, all these things are created and ordained by God. He, he made the world and he sustains the world. There, there really is joy. There is God-glorifying joy to be had in our, in our pancakes, in our eggs, in our cornbread and milk, if you're me, in your camping trips, in our workouts, in our Spotify playlists. We should enjoy our jobs, our hobbies, our daily routine, our Bibles, our public worship, our devotional times, all of this. Is a, is a gift from God. And, and don't forget, in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world. We're, we're called to love all men and to have a passion to tell them about Christ. Worldliness is a matter of the heart. The world we're warned about that we should not love is not God's created world that he made great for us to enjoy. This this world is our home. It's for us. And we're meant to enjoy it. Joe Rigney has a great book. It's available in the bookstore at 25% off this morning. Strangely bright. He, he wrote a larger book about this. And now he's come out with this smaller book that is excellent. He says, The living God made the world so that we could know Him. He reveals Himself to us in creation and in Scripture, in His world and in His Word. Everything in creation declares His glory. Made things make His invisible attributes visible. All of God's gifts are invitations. They display who He is and invite us to know Him and delight in Him. They are the beams. He is the sun. They are the streams. He is the fountain. So our calling is simple. To enjoy God in everything and in everything in God. Knowing that He is greater more satisfying than any and all of his gifts. Jesus is better. That's our last point. 
John Piper wrote the foreword to the larger book that Rigney wrote. Very humbly. This is why you should love John Piper. He humbly wrote that his emphasis on treasuring Christ meant that he didn't have time to talk about the, the right enjoyment of creation. And he said, my emphasis is not the whole truth. How many guys say that? Joe Rigney has lived a different life. He has felt the force of different needs in people's lives. So he commends this book, writes the foreword to it. Because he realized his emphasis has been different. So if you're a big John Piper fan, read some Joe Rigney. Go have some pancakes and enjoy them. <laughs> Creation is, is God's witness. The heavens declare the glory of God. We should see God everywhere. Romans 1, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. We can, we can discern so much his, his might, his majesty, his complexity, his infinite worth. He has an inordinate fondness for beetles. There are 150,000 species of beetles. It makes a statement. You may have seen this week the first image of a black hole was in the news. None of you know what a black hole is and I just don't have time to instruct you about black holes <laughs> it's just this area of dense matter it's so dense even light can't leave it but they got a picture somehow of the gases around it so it reflected and you can kind of see this image of a black hole and it's in our galaxy what I was what I found interesting was these these scientists I am in awe because that's our supermassive black hole it's in our galaxy you know it's an amazing another scientist captivating moment I'm not as affected. Beetles do it for me better. But <laughs> it's clear, man, this black hole reveals something. I didn't hear anybody praising God, which maybe they did. But fallen people suppress the truth of God. The new birth is a miracle. So that when we're born again, we see it. We see it. So creation is God's gift. We more than anybody else can enjoy it. Go to lunch today and give thanks to God. It's interesting in 1 Timothy 4, Paul is talking about eating good food. There's people who want to restrict what you can eat. And he says in 1 Timothy 4, 4, Everything created by God, he's talking about food, is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. For it's made holy by the word of God in prayer. I remember Copper Seller used to have a napkin. 
had Ecclesiastes 9-7 on it. Go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. That's, that's a quote from Ecclesiastes. It's communicating a truth. You're going to die. Enjoy today. That's the message. There's a way to redeem today. Yeah, you're going to die. But enjoy your food. Give it up for the copper seller. It's wisdom. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul's correcting the rich. He says, as, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to be arrogant, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. It's, it's almost like he's, as, he's concerned about both. He almost seems to emphasize, make sure you enjoy this great creation that God has given us. I have an upcoming annual fishing trip to Yellowstone National Park, Wyoming and Montana. I will enjoy time with my son. He has red hair. God's special gift. <laughs> if I did nothing else but hang out with him, it'd be worth the trip. I'll be with my friend, Charles, who's an incredible fly fisherman and has befriended me. It is a gift. I'll be in his 1938 cabin. That's a step back in time. There's no TV, but there are comics from the 40s. No kidding. Charles will bring them out and say, here's some comics if you'd like some comics. <laughs> Yellowstone, the, the beauty, the strangeness, if you've never been, it's like a volcano. It is a volcano. Grizzly bears risking your life. Grasses in the Beckler Meadows, hundreds of different species. It's stunning. How can there be that many grasses? And did I mention the fishing? I'm going to enjoy every second of it for the glory of God. Finally, number three, Jesus is better. So look over, go left. To Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. Paul says this. But far be it from me. To boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world, that world that we're not supposed to love, has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul's pride is in the cross of Christ. O only through the power of the cross can we resist worldliness. Paul said in Colossians 1, for this I toil, I strive, I struggle, I work, for this I toil, 
struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is a recurring theme in Paul. You can find this in numerous places. Wait a minute. I work and he works. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me through his spirit. Remember last week, be filled with the spirit. For this I toil, struggling with his empowering presence in my life. It's evidence of grace. It's the work of the spirit. It's the fruit of the cross. 1 Corinthians 15.10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his, his grace towards me was not in vain. It accomplished his purposes. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. He, kept, he just goes back and forth. I worked harder than them all. I toil. I struggle, but it's with his power. It's with his energy. I boast, Paul says, about the cross. The cross, the gospel, Christ Jesus, God the Son incarnate. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, become man, lives a perfect life. executed an innocent man, the greatest injustice in history that was God's plan to redeem the world, to redeem your life. Raised from the dead to new life. Provides forgiveness for everyone who trusts in Him for their salvation. And, and so much more. You can be filled with the Spirit of God today because of the cross, the gospel. You can be empowered. You can endure. You can persevere. You, you can make it. Resisting worldliness, it does require hard work. It does require effort. It's a lifelong battle, but we don't overcome worldliness and we never will on our own. We aren't sufficient for this war. We need greater strength. Jerry Bridges says this, the same apostle who said, and we read this as we began this morning, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith also said in another context, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul attributed all of his endurance, all of his faithfulness to the grace of God. There's a reason he made it. It was grace. And so as we look at our responsibility, keep in mind that we are enabled to fulfill that responsibility only by the grace of God. 
What, what Paul said is that the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For, for Paul, the, the cross was the most important reality in his life. It changed everything. The cross was decisive for him. His whole life was transformed by Christ's atoning death on his behalf. For him to live as Christ because of the cross. To die as gain. He will sing forevermore. To die is gain because it will usher him into a greater fellowship with Christ. The world was crucified to him. It held no sway over Paul. He wasn't dependent on the world for anything. He didn't crave the approval of the world. He didn't embrace the world's values. Jesus is better. Paul was crucified to the world. When he was converted, he was crucified with Christ. He died with Christ. He was raised with Christ. His sinful nature was crucified. He was raised up to new life in Christ. We want to boast in the cross of Christ. We want to preach this gospel to ourselves today. And not fear that we're going to fall away like Demas. Unlike Demas, let's glory in the cross. Let's conquer worldliness in the power of the Spirit. Now, every month on the second Sunday, we have a special time of ministry. Where we try to linger a little bit. And we have teams of people that come to pray for you. This is the third Sunday of May. Because last Sunday was Mother's Day. So we're doing it the third Sunday. Most importantly though, we want to have a time of ministry. This is a great Sunday for us to pray. Maybe that you recognize worldliness in your life. Maybe that you just want to be filled afresh with the Spirit. It may be any number of needs that you have. But I want to invite you in light of what we've seen today. It's not just that the Lord invites us, but it's His eagerness to help us and empower us. In light of that, I want to invite you to come. Don't, don't be bashful. Don't be worried about what people think. Come down and let these teams pray for you. We want to ask the Lord, in light of the gospel, to meet your every need. I'm going to pray now. I'd like to ask the teams to come and the worship band to come. And they're going to play. If, if you're not coming down for prayer, please just join them in song. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We come to you because of Christ. Our desire this morning, our prayer, is that you would receive glory. That, that Christ Jesus would be lifted up. Lord, set us free from worldliness. Protect us from a love of the world. Let this warning serve our souls and serve our church. May we never be a worldly church, I pray. But may we always live for Christ and make much of him, Lord, I pray. Jesus is better. And we ask all these things in his name. Amen.
You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.